Chapter Ninety Nine. the Vampire. Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wally. Vani the Vampire, Volume Two, by Thomas Prescott Press. Chapter Ninety Nine. The Baron becomes master of Anderbury on the Mount and begins to congratulate himself. The Dream. It was a wonderful relief to Mister Leake to find that the fact of a dead body having been found in the subterranean passage of Anderbury House was really no bar to the Baron possessing himself of those premises. Mr. Leake could not disguise from himself that to many persons it would have been a serious impediment, and the very mystery in which that affair was still wrapped up would have made the impediment greater because people don't so much think of a murder which is all found out and for which the perpetrator suffers but a murdered body found and yet no murderer keeps public curiosity upon the stretch and is almost certain destruction to house property but now whether the baron bought anderbury house or rented it was much the same to mr Leake for in the former case he got his percentage all at once and in the later acting as agent he got more but he got it by degrees he waited therefore with some degree of feverish impatience to know which way that illustrious individual would make up his mind and when he said at length in his strange calm way that he would give ten thousand pounds for anderbury on the mount Mr. Leake wrote off in violent haste to the owner, advising him to accept the same without delay, and as the owner never intended again to set foot in Anderbury House and moreover wanted money, he wrote back again in as violent haste that he would take ten thousand pounds most certainly, and wished the transaction concluded as quickly as it very well could be promising mr leake which was a very gratifying thing to that gentleman not on account of the money as he himself said oh dear no but as a matter of feeling a handsome bonus in addition to his percentage if he quickly got the matter completed armed with this authority the agent showed an amount of generalship which must if he had been placed in the situation of field marshal the duke of wellington have won for him all the continental battles he went at once to the baron and told him that he had received a letter from the owner of anderbury on the mount asking ten thousand five hundred pounds for the estate but leaving it at his mr leake's option to take ten thousand pounds if he chose now my lord baron said mr leake business is business 
and I may as well put two fifty pounds in my pocket, and your lordship put two fifty pounds in yours, as not. That is to say, said the baron, that you are willing to sell your employer's interest to me. Oh, why, it isn't exactly that, you know, my lord, only, you know, in these transactions, everybody does the best he can for himself, and I'm sure I should be very sorry if you thought that, that, Mr. Leake interrupted the baron, you need have no delicacy with me, whatever. I believe you to be as great a rogue as ever stepped. So you need make no excuses. Only, of course, you cannot expect me to assist you in your villainy. That is quite out of the question. So you will understand that I decline giving more than the ten thousand pounds for Anderbury House. And if that is not accepted in one hour from this time, I will not have it at all. It's accepted now at once, groaned Mr. Leake, who found that the baron was too many for him. It's accepted at once, my lord, and I beg that you will bury the past in what do you call it, oblivion. Very good, said the baron. I presume if I give you a cheque for a thousand pounds as a deposit, I may have possession at once, while the deeds are preparing. Certainly, my lord baron, oh, certainly. The baron then gave Mr. Lee and took his acknowledgement for the same, a cheque for a thousand pounds on one of the most eminent banking houses in London. And in two hours from that time, such was the celerity and precision of his movements, he took possession of Anderbury House and engaged the man and woman who had been minding it to be his temporary servants, until he could get up an establishment suitable to his rank and the place he inhabited. It would have been a strange sight to Mr. Leake, and would have made him open his eyes a little with wonder, if he could have seen the baron traversing the apartments of Anderbury House alone. And am I at last settled, he said to himself, as he stood in a large saloon. Am I at last settled in a home such as I can really call my own? And shall I not be hunted from it by my enemies? Let me consider. I will be quick in giving such an entertainment here that it shall be talked of for many a day to come. It shall be such an entertainment as shall present to me all of youth, beauty, rank and wealth that can be found in the neighborhood, and out of them I will choose someone who shall be the baroness, and for a time pace the stately halls as their mistress. For a time, yes, I have said only for a time. I wonder if there be a family vault to this property, because if there be, I may want to use it. In this purchase of Anderbury on the Mount, the ancient furniture of the place had been all included, so that, in truth, the baron had but to walk in and to find himself, if he could make himself so, quite at home. A costly bedchamber was prepared for him, 
the bed linen and furniture of which was sent by Mr. Leake from his own house, and no doubt he fully intended to be well paid for the same. The Baron, after about two hours spent in examination of his house, sat down in one of the principal apartments, and partook of a very slight repast, and after that, folding his arms upon his bosom, he seemed to give himself up to thought entirely, and from the smile that occasionally showed itself on his remarkable physiognomy, it would seem that those thoughts of his were of a pleasant and felicitous character. Now and then, too, from a few and unsettled words that fell from his lips, it would seem as if he were greatly felicitating himself upon something which he had achieved that was of a character to give him intense satisfaction. Perhaps it was the death of this singular man who called upon him, that gave him so much pleasure, and we are inclined to think that was the case, for after the commission of a murder such as that, one of two feelings were pretty sure to possess him. Remorse might take possession of him, and he might suffer much mental anguish in consequence of the deed, or the object which he achieved by that death might be of such a nature as to become quite a subject of congratulation, so as, whenever he thought upon it, to give him the pleasantest and most delightful feelings. It looked very much as if this was the case as regarded the baron, because it was as clear and evident as the sun at noonday that he had felt no degree of remorse or regret for that deed and that, as regards his conscience, certainly the murder he had committed sat as easy upon it as anything well could. The evening was now drawing on, and the large apartments of the ancient house began to be enveloped in gloom. But unlike the generality of persons who have committed crimes, and whose conscience are charged with injustice, the gathering gloom of night seemed to have no terror whatever for the Baron Stolmuir. But at length, with something of a sense of weariness, he rose and rang for attendance, desiring to be shown to the bedchamber which had been prepared for his reception. It was a strange thing but it seemed to be customary with him not to undress when he retired to rest. But, as he had done at the hotel, he only took off a portion of his apparel, and then cast himself upon the bed, and in a few moments it seemed as if a deep repose crept over him. We may seem, but in reality it was a disturbed and anxious sleep which the baron had, and soon he began to toss his arms to and fro restlessly, and to utter deep groans indicative of mental anguish. Occasionally, likewise, a muttered word or two, scarcely articulately pronounced, would come from his lips, such as, Save me, save me, 
not yet not yet my doom no no the moonlight the moonlight kill him strike him down this state of mind continued for a considerable time until with a shrill cry he sprung to his feet and stood in an attitude of horror trembling in every limb and exhibiting a most horrible and frightful picture of mental distress then there came a loud knocking at his chamber door and the voice of the man davis who had been alarmed at the strange shriek that had come from the baron's lips fell upon his ears the sound of any human voice at such a time was like music to him are you ill sir cried david are you ill no no it was nothing but a dream only a dream and then he added to himself but it was a dream of such absolute horror that i shall dread to close my eyes and rest again lest once more so fearful a vision should greet me it was a dream of frightful significance that it will live in my remembrance like a reality and be dreamed of again as such he sat down and wiped the cold perspiration from his brow then rising he walked with unsteady steps towards the window and throwing aside the massive curtain which shut out the night without by making a still deeper night within a flood of beautiful and tender moonlight fell into the apartment as the cold rays fell upon his face he breathed more freely and seemed more to revive beneath their influence than as if he had suddenly found the bright sunshine beaming upon him in all the refulgence of its midday glory i'm better now he muttered i'm much better now what a fearful vision that was which came across my heated fancy welcome welcome beautiful moonbeams welcome for deep in my very heart i feel your cheering influence now the violent trembling which had seized him passed away and once more he resumed his wonted composure and calm hideousness of expression if we may be allowed the word now for some time he sat in silence and then in a low deep voice he spoke it was a strange dream a dream made up of strange fancies and strange impulses i thought that i stood in a vaulted chamber and that all round me depicted nothing but gloom and desolation but as i there stood the chamber filled with hideous forms coming from where i knew not but still crowding crowding in until the shadow of the merest shade could not have found a place and so they crushed me into the smallest possible space and there i stood with a hundred grinning faces close around me and in such a mad paroxysm of terror that i would have given the world for escape 
from that dreadful thraldom. But they jibed at me, filling my ears with shrieking noises, and then at once there was a proposition, a proposition yelled out with shrieking vehemence by every voice. It was to place me in the tombs even as I was, a living man. Keep mountains of earth upon him, cried a voice. Endow him with rare gift of immortality, and then let him lie buried for thousands of years yet to come. There seized upon me those gaunt and terrific forms, and deep into the bowels of the earth I was hurried, a depth beyond all calculation, and when I thought my fate was sealed, a change came over me, and I found myself in one of the ice-wells of this mansion, cold and death-like, while a crowd of eager, curious faces, illumined by the light of torches, gazed down upon me, but no one spoke, and then they began to cast large fragments of the rocky cliff upon me. I called for aid and asked for death, but still they proceeded to fill up the pit, while I lay, incapable of anything but agonized thought, at the bottom of it. Then it was, I presume, that in my despair I shook off that fearful slumber and awakened. He was silent, and seemed much to rejoice in the moonbeams as they fell upon his face, and after a time, in order it would appear that he might feel more of their influence, he opened the window and stepped out upon a balcony which was immediately in front of it. The view that he now had was a beautiful one in the extreme, spreading far over in one direction, a beautiful tract of highly cultivated country, and on the other, as far as the eye could reach, upon the boundless ocean on which the moonbeams fell with such beauty and power that, still and placid as the waters were on that particular night, the sea looked like a sheet of radiant silver, broken into gentle irregularities. It was a scene upon which a poet or a painter, but painters should be all poets, although poets may not be painters, might gaze with rapture and delight. Not the slightest breath of air stirred the gentlest leaf upon a forest tree, but such a calmness and such a serenity reigned over all things that one might imagine oneself looking upon some new and beautiful world, the harmony of which had never yet been disturbed by the jarring sounds of elemental strife. Strange thoughts and feelings seemed to come over the baron, as he then looked upon that mild and placid scene without, and after a time he spoke, saying, And what do I struggle for now? What is it now but mere existence, that is the end and aim of all these anxious thoughts and feelings? Nothing more, nothing more but the mere liberty to breathe and to be anxious, the capacity to endure pain. That is what I live for, nothing else, nothing else in the wide world, 
for when and how can I expect that calm contentment of the soul which man takes such pains to cast from him, but which I know the full value of, can ever be mine? Once more he cast his eyes round him, upon the great extent of cultivated country, and although he felt he could call the most of it, that lay immediately beneath his observation his own, it yet gave him but little gratification to do so, and probably he looked with about as much indifference upon his own possessions as any one possibly could. This is a new career, he said, and something tells me that it is my last. So, while it continues, I will not shrink from it, but on the contrary, enjoy it. And I will endeavor to lose the recollection of those stormy periods of my existence, which have passed away in a complete round and whirl of what the world calls enjoyments and delights. I will spend large sums on brilliant entertainments, and this house, which they tell me has been so long deserted by everything in the shape of festivity and hilarity, shall once again ring with joyous laughter, and I will make an endeavour to forget what I am. He evidently dreaded again to lie down to repose, for after some time further spent in thought, and in the expression of the feelings that lay uppermost in his mind, he put on again that portion of his apparel which he had taken off. In this soft and pleasant moonlight, he said, which is so grateful to my senses, I will walk in the gardens of this mansion, and should a sense of weariness oppress me, I shall be able to find, no doubt, some pleasant spot where I can lie down to rest, and I shall not fear horrifying or anxious dreams when I can repose beneath the beams of the moon, which cool my fevered brow. With a slow and stately step, he moved across the long and beautiful corridor from which his chamber opened, and then descending the grand staircase, and in that house a grand staircase it really was. He made his way across the hall, and undoing the fastening of a window, which opened into a large and handsome conservatory, he passed through that again, and soon found himself in the extensive gardens of Anderbury. Certainly, if there be any side more chaste and beautiful than another, it is a highly cultivated and well-wooded garden by moonlight and we cannot but admire the taste of the baron stolmier in preferring it even to the stately bedchamber he had so recently left and which notwithstanding all the advantages and beauties that art could bestow upon it could never hope to rival or even to come near the natural beauties of that highly cultivated piece of ground and there are some flowers too that give out the sweetest odours to the night air, and some again that unfold their choicest beauties only when the sun has set, and the cold moonbeams can but 
look down upon them. When he got fairly into the garden, he found that there was a light, gentle breeze playing among the shorter shrubs and flowers, but that it reached not high enough to stir the leaves of the trees. But it is extremely doubtful if, completely taken up as this man was, no doubt, with worldly pursuits, he did not, after the first few moments, completely forget the world of natural beauties by which he was surrounded. Folding his arms, he walked along the stately avenues with a solemn tread, and then, soon banishing from his mind those feelings of melancholy sadness which had oppressed him, he began evidently to indulge in dreams of felicity which, by the manner in which he spoke of them, were evidently but dreams. What can I desire or want more than I have, he said. Immense wealth, consequently immense power, golden opinions may always be purchased with gold. And what is there then, really, to hinder me pursuing to the full the career which I have marked out to myself? Surely I can surround myself with all that is young and delightful and beautiful. Can I not make these halls echo with such laughter? That surely it must awaken even in my breast joyous emotions? Then there is the wine cup. Why should not that flow with rich abundance, gladdening the hearts of all and adding even to genius for the time a new fire? and a more delightful expression of its thoughts and feelings. And music, too. Surely I can have abundance of music to shed the witchery of its charms about me, and with these inducements and allurements, I must and will succeed in banishing reflection if I achieve no more. As he now stood and turned his eyes towards the east, he fancied he saw that the morning light was beginning faintly to show itself in the far-off horizon. Another day is coming, he said, and how much, how very much, might be done in a day. I will, with the assistance of that man, Leek, who I can readily perceive is quite willing to bow down to any idol, provided it be of gold, to commence the career of festivities that I have set my heart upon, and we shall soon see how striking an alteration will take place in the halls of Anderbury. He entered a small summer house which was built in the garden, and through the stained glass of which the moon shone with a variegated light, and there he sat down, and after a time tasted of that repose which upon the bed of down that he had left and surrounded by all the costly litter of his handsome bedchamber he had courted in vain. End of chapter 99